0: Oh, my God! They're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog; he's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict iron jaw that rapscallion. scallion. I bet it was that strange, shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I'll swaddle my stuffed panda he's possessed it could have been ricky's arm we haven't seen it since it got cut off i definitely know who the killer is blank is the killer hail and well met you're listening to blank is the killer the unoriginal horror movie podcast where i spread my thoughts on six new to me Horror movies, with the seventh spooky topic thrown in at the end. This episode I'll be going over undead forces, odd infections, and creepy caverns, among other things. I got a lot to say, so let's repel into the depths together. Hopefully we'll find a way back out at the end of our journey. Number one Suburban Gothic 2014, directed by Richard Bates Jr. A guy named Raymond has to move back in with his parents after not landing a job after college a grounds crew finds the body of a long dead young girl in the house's yard paranormal activity begins raymond enlists the help of a girl named becca and after a lot of interactions between raymond and various characters it is found out that the leader of the grounds crew hector stole a necklace from the corpse the necklace and body are returned to their resting place which stops the haunting that the young girl's father's ghost was leading the bogdan brothers are the killers who are they the guys that killed the young girl no characters die in the present day i want to start off by saying matthew gray Gubler, who plays raymond tries his best to carry this movie on his back he oozes charisma the entire time he is on screen his performance is the main reason i ended up enjoying this movie i've never seen any of his other work but if he is in any other comedic things sign me up On the complete other end of the charisma spectrum you have Kat Dennings who literally brings nothing but a terrible tropey love interest to the movie. You could have replaced her with a cardboard cutout and I don't think I would have noticed. Speaking of terrible forced romance I really thought this movie was going to duck the cliche of the two characters ending up together at the end. The movie starts off with Raymond and Becca talking about hooking up but they never get to it the relationship morphs into more of a platonic thing that i really liked then bam right before the credits roll they make out come on the forced romance is not the biggest issue with this movie the biggest issue would be the copious amounts of racism and homophobia which is used in more jokes in this movie than any other horror movie i've watched for this podcast combined and this movie came out in 2014 the dad is made out to be a racist homophobe To make you really think he's a bad person they also throw in a quick scene where the dad gets a boner while creepily looking at a picture of one of his underage students why was this scene even in the movie i get that him having his boner bent in half is pretty funny but the movie already set up a better way for him to get the needed boner raymond starts jacking it on the family computer and a haunting makes him abort the dolphin flogging and exit the room before closing out his porn window The dad later sees this window when he gets on the computer it would have been way funnier if he got the boner in this scene back to the racism and homophobia which this movie is chock full of i guess the writers richard bates jr and mark bruner wanted an easy way to make the townspeople and dad unlikable without putting effort into developing their characters the thing is it also seems like they were going for cheap laughs by being offensive there are multiple moments in this movie that are downright hilarious and none of these moments come from the terrible stereotype jokes or the continuous use of a derogatory term for gay people if the writers cut out all that unfunny offensive garbage and wrote more of the great character interactions that are in this movie i would say it would have done a lot better seriously the conversations that raymond has with random people his cousin frank and some of the one-on-ones with his dad where the dad isn't playing up the old bigot character are hilarious and charming the movie has several jokes that actually made me laugh out loud which kind of bummed me out since the writers showed that they could be funny but spent a majority of the time grabbing low hanging fruit off the offensive stereotype tree offensive jokes can be hilarious if you're going to make an off joke make sure it's funny also don't make the minority the butt of the joke for instance in ash versus evil dead there's a quick back and forth between ash played by bruce campbell and pablo who's played by ray santiago who also plays one of the gardeners in suburban gothic ash starts off with all right look we get this done quick enough we might have time to stop for churros and look that's not a racist thing pablo that's just a great dessert pablo responds with you know i'm not mexican right and ash ends with that's the spirit back to suburban gothic the movie is filled with music that is incredibly cheesy and cartoonish which i honestly enjoyed quite a bit i'd say 90 percent of the cgi ghost effects look like someone who had never used after effects was told to create some spooky red ghost fog in 24 hours honestly i don't really mind that the cgi effects are terrible though since raymond's interaction with people is what i focused on and those are mostly well done John Waters plays a random character that is on screen for a hot second and says the following amazing line that I'll give with no context, give me a blowjob and you can have the skeleton. I haven't really seen any of his stuff so I'll try to check out something from him eventually. I want to say at least one of his films could be labeled a horror movie. The dead little girl's skull is an adult skull which is a funny oversight this movie like many other movie and tv shows suffers from sober drunk people syndrome i'm not sure why it's so hard to have actors pretend to be drunk on screen ambrose the little girl's dad is doing the majority of the haunting and is actually pretty creepy in my opinion this movie would have become a huge cult classic if the terrible red spooky fog was replaced with more shots of ambrose the cheap racist and homophobic jokes were removed and the movie ended with raymond and becca as just friends actually i think getting rid of cat dennings altogether would have helped i recommend suburban gothic solely on matthew gray Gubler's performance he won an award for best actor at Screamfest fest in 2014 for this he's an incredibly good comedic actor watch it if you are looking for a few laughs and can look past some really pointless bigotry number two pontypool 2008 directed by bruce mcdonald I recommend checking this out with no knowledge of the plot, so if you'd like to go in blind, skip to. Okay, here we go. A guy named Grant Massey recently started a new job as the host of a morning radio show in Pontypool. He starts off a broadcast, as he usually does, with the station manager Sidney Breyer and technical assistant Laurel Ann in attendance. During the broadcast, the crew at the station hears from their fake helicopter reporter Ken Loney who's actually in a van that a strange riot has broken out at the office of a dr mendez before the signal is cut off ken says the riot has turned violent and people are dying mazzy and the crew try to figure out what's going on dr mendez randomly pops up at the station and says people are going crazy laurel ann starts acting weird and after being locked out of the sound room ends up dying after banging into the window multiple times and throwing up a ton of blood eventually it's pieced together that people are being infected by the english language which makes them try to murder people mazzy is able to cure sydney after she gets infected by making her lose understanding of a word dr mendez leaves the station mazzy begins broadcasting nonsense with sydney's help to help try and cure people the station is surrounded by a military force who are killing the infected the military begins counting down and the credits roll once the countdown is over after the credits that has audio playing that states the infection hasn't been stopped mazzy and sydney are shown to be still alive in a hyper stylized shot of them in a different place people infected by english words are the killers i might have went a little overkill on the summary there as i think i've talked about before on this podcast i had a brief stint as a radio dj during college so i love when radio booths pop up in movies The majority of Pontypool is set at a radio station. There is a very brief part outside of the station when Mazzy is driving to work, but other than that, the whole thing is basically a bottle movie. Pontypool is an incredibly fresh take on the infected zombie movie. It's not technically a zombie movie since bites aren't turning people. The English language is. The way the infection is spread is never clearly revealed. The characters basically find out that people are being infected, once they say or hear a specific word and understand a strange inner meaning i know that sounds incredibly confusing but it's kind of supposed to be a big thing the movie has going for it is the fact that the audience is in the dark alongside the characters regarding what exactly is going on it is really cool to find out little snippets of the story through phone calls from people calling into the radio station instead of cutting away to a scene that just shows zombies The acting in this is good. Stephen McHattie plays Grant Mazie and comes off a little hammy at times, but I believe that's how some radio DJs would actually act in real life. He has a great "take no prisoners" attitude. Lisa Howell plays Sydney and is completely believable. Fun fact: Stephen McHattie and Lisa Howell are married. The one character that is a little hard to believe is Laurel Ann, played by Georgina Riley. Since she's supposed to be a veteran, but she doesn't seem genuine when she snaps into military mode. I don't even think her character needs to be a veteran. For some reason, the movie has a scene where a community theater comes into the station to perform a song they're working on for what they call Lawrence and the Arabians. A bunch of them are sporting brownface. Fun fact the writer of the movie and book it's based on, Tony Burgess, is one of the men in the group the only other movie i can think of that has brownface is short circuit two and that came out 20 years prior come on people there are a couple of out of place scenes in this the first being a segment where mazzy is saying obituaries over the air with shots of people who have died standing still and looking at the camera in black and white the other is a completely confusing after credits scene that has mazzy and sydney speaking nonsense in stylized black and white that gradually gains color the movie originally had this scene as the ending before the credits but test audiences didn't like it i honestly think the movie is better without it there are some strange sound effect choices the worst violator is a cheeseball big reveal sound effect that plays when dr mendez tells mazzy he hopes what mazzy's getting out there isn't going to destroy the world after mazzy has been trying to warn people about what's going on there is not a lot of gore in this but the gore they do with laurel Ann's busted up mouth after she keeps bashing her face into things is well done and incredibly disturbing as i said at the very beginning i recommend watching Pawnee Pool. i think it's a fresh take on a zombie movie number three dead shack 2017 directed by peter rick three kids summer and colin who are siblings and jason who is colin's friend are going on a weekend trip to a cabin with the sibling's dad roger and his girlfriend lisa once at the cabin the kids explore and see a woman in a neighboring cabin drug two bro dudes to feed them to her zombie family the kids go home to get help from roger who's drunk in an attempt to save the bros it doesn't go well and lisa and robert end up dead the movie ends with the kids killing the zombie family and the neighbor who was taking care of them the neighbor zombies and colin are the killers i'm counting colin since he kills the neighbor after she has been incapacitated this movie is dog poop like one of the worst movies i've ever seen dog poop actually it's more like a dog poop that was eaten thrown up eaten then pooped again since i have a feeling my body is going to be possessed by a rant i'll quickly spout out the few things that i almost enjoyed the music is done by a band called humans i didn't like the score they did for this but recommend checking out their first album avec Mimec, which is french for with my guys it's a good poppy electronic album the score they did for dead shack is uninspired and bland it tries to steal the sound of stranger things and fails miserably oh great the ran is already starting to take over Uh, i like the dad character he is genuinely funny in parts and at least tries to act drunk having the dad be drunk is a cool way to add conflict to the plot the drunk acting is better than most movies and shows but his movements and eyes give him away instantly there is some cool practical gore in this That isn't absolutely horrible. I am not a fan of overly black blood, but the movie says the blood is black because zombies, whatever. That's all the good I got. I'm just going to spew different tidbits of stuff I didn't like from here on out. Lisa, the dad's girlfriend, is played by an actress that barely looks older than the daughter. The dad is already an incredibly young dad, and having such an incredibly young looking girl be the girlfriend was confusing the acting in this is abysmal all around with the dad being the best of the worst the worst of the worst which is actually one of the greatest christian slater impersonations i've ever seen on screen comes from matthew nelson manhood he plays jason which is a name i had to look up since i started only referring to him as young christian slater his performance is at least unintentionally hilarious unlike everyone else who doesn't react in a usual way to anything that happens to them the humor in this is 98 percent not funny in the least the two percent that is slightly humorous comes from the drunk dad and some scenes with the zombie children there is a part in the movie where the kids need to go rescue their dad who was left at the neighbor's house after he passes out from drinking drugged wine jason uses this time to reveal that he's rich has family issues and didn't want anyone to know that he's rich jason this is not the time no one cares this literally adds nothing to the story zilch all the writing in this is completely abysmal a terrible running joke has colin calling shotgun over and over shut up colin the uggo bros that end up getting eaten are wearing terrible vests were their torsos freezing but their arms were on fire this isn't something against the movie i just personally hate vests that aren't being worn by jim varney do the zombies need to eat humans it seems like it could be easier to go the little vampires route and have them munch on some cows shout out to jonathan lipnicki who looks surprisingly normal now maybe the neighbor could have given the zombies tomatoes so they could suck the red out wait that wouldn't work they aren't vampire bunnies the neighbor is only keeping these zombies alive because she's afraid no one else will love her dumb plot is dumb there are multiple heads destroyed with terrible cgi i know this is a kickstarter movie but still finn wolfhard from stranger things and it was in the proof of concept video for this I don't think he could have carried this garbage on his back if he had been in the actual movie the proof of concept was also bad kids killing zombies isn't inherently funny sorry Peter Peter is in the Kickstarter video and he seems like a terrible unfunny director with no original vision that should have never been given any money while watching this with me Kat was trying to look up the actors when it ended she said no wonder none of these people have Wikipedia pages sick burn anyway the movie is incredibly bad it's not even bad in a way where it's fun to make fun of it's just bad bad don't watch it from now on i might skip shutter exclusive movies i think 31 was exclusively on Shudder 2 and it was also poop shutter exclusive now has a negative connotation for me i'm going to spit some blood out of my mouth real quick and we'll move on to the next movie number four hush 2016 directed by mike flanagan maddie is a deaf author who lives by herself in a house in the woods she hangs out with her neighbor sarah for a bit sarah then leaves and pops back up at the house distressed she's killed by a man wearing a mask who has a giant neck tattoo the man notices maddie is deaf and begins tormenting her after taking off his mask maddie does some questionable things sarah's boyfriend john shows up and is bested by the killer after maddie distracts him maddie then goes into full killer be killed mode and is able to take out the killer the previously masked man with the giant neck tattoo is the killer the idea of a person who is deaf being stalked by a killer is an interesting concept that isn't fully capitalized on in this movie there are very few parts in hush where the main character being deaf affects things maddie still makes the same dumb decisions that a hearing protagonist would for instance there are multiple instances where she'd probably be safe if she followed through with one of her plans the first of these plans is when she sneaks out of the house and hides under it the killer has no reason to look under the house since he thinks maddie is still inside she probably could have bought a lot of time chilling outside the house then ran out into the forest once the killer decided to go inside The second time she has a good plan and turns it into a bad one is when she gets on the roof. She could have just laid on the rooftop. There is no way the killer would think to climb out onto the roof and check for her. Instead of just staying on the roof out of sight, Maddie throws a flashing light into the woods, then loudly tries to get down from the roof, alerting the killer who shoots her in the leg with a crossbow. She climbs back up the killer then tries to climb after her and she gets his crossbow away from him she has the high ground and could easily wait for the killer to climb up and bash him in the face with the crossbow but she instead goes back into the house after pulling the bolt out of her leg causing her to bleed more when john comes up you think yes this guy is actually intelligent he sees through the killer's fake cop routine and is going to bash his head in with a rock right when john is about to take the killer down maddie bangs on a window giving the killer an attack of opportunity where he stabs john in the neck john still fights and gets the killer in a headlock on the ground this prompts maddie to run outside with the crossbow and shoot the killer in the head wait that's not what happens maddie just sits in the house and lets john die in vain she ends up saving her cat by shooting the killer in the shoulder with the crossbow though it's not like she had one shot and it needed to be a fatal one at least i don't have to have another pet warning on this podcast other than the terribly stupid decisions that plague most horror movies this was an enjoyable watch the gore in it is very well done sans some terrible cgi blood spurting that happens after maddie stabs the killer in the neck with the corkscrew There's also a drawn out scene where Maddie attends to her leg wound that was unnecessary. The pour some form of alcohol on the wound and tie it up scene is in way too many movies. The acting is alright. Kate Siegel has been in a lot of horror movies recently as minor characters so it's awesome that she stars in this. It probably helped that she's married to the director and they came up with the idea together. Siegel plays a minor character in gerald's game and like in that movie hush has some brutal hand violence luckily it's not nearly as bad as the gerald's game scene that still pops into my head every once in a while to skeet me out john gallagher jr plays the killer in hush and i didn't realize that he's the same guy that plays Emmett in 10 cloverfield lane he also appears to play the main character in the belco experiment which i plan to check out soon he's good in hush But he's not the most threatening dude i think the movie would have been better if he never took off the mask the mask is prevalent in the advertising but barely in the movie in one scene the killer uses sarah's dead body as a puppet to knock on a window and freak maddie out which i found pretty twisted that's a lot of dead weight to lug around though if you are looking for a fun episode of tom and jerry that is feature length and has jerry played by a woman who is deaf and tom played by a sociopath with a neck tattoo check out hush while not being the best thing ever it's not bad number five the descent 2005 directed by neil marshall i heavily recommend checking this one out without any spoilers it's an awesome movie skip to 27 minutes 39 seconds if you'd like to give it a fresh watch now on to the summary one year after a terrible car accident leaves her husband and daughter dead sarah joins her daredevil friends for some spelunking everyone thinks they're adventuring through a simple cave but after a cave-in it's revealed that their leader juno took them to an unmapped cavern they all try to find a way out while also dealing with troglodyte creatures most of the group die from creature attacks and one of the friends named beth is accidentally killed by juno juno and sarah make it to the exit sarah confronts juno about leaving beth for dead juno isn't honest about being the reason beth died sarah then reveals that she knows her husband and juno were having an affair sarah leaves juno for dead after stabbing her in the leg with a climbing pick juno is killed by the creatures while sarah escapes juno sarah reckless driving and troglodytes are the killers this movie has been recommended to me over and over online and in person why it took me so long to watch i have no idea it's a great horror movie it covers tons of real life fears like outliving your loved ones infidelity claustrophobia and accidentally causing a loved one's death also bloodthirsty cave dwellers honestly this movie doesn't even need the monsters to be scary the scene where Juno accidentally kills Beth by stabbing her in the throat with a climbing pick is way more horrifying than any of the creature scenes, especially since it's something anyone could end up doing. If I'm being attacked by monsters in a dark ass cave and think another one is sneaking up on me, I'm not going to ask questions first. Well, I might now since I don't want to accidentally kill one of my friends juno is made out to be the villain of the group before this incident though she endangers everyone's lives by taking them into an uncharted cave and was having an affair with one of her best friend's husbands talk about a terrible person even though she does a lot of absolutely terrible things it still fills off when sarah basically kills juno by crippling her and leaving her behind Sarah goes through a lot of trauma in the movie, though, so her not thinking clearly makes sense. The acting in this movie is fantastic. Everyone does a great job. The gore is incredibly well done and practical for the most part. There is a scene where a character breaks her leg and the bone has to be reset that is yeesh inducing. I've never broken a bone, but if I did and could see a bone sticking out, I think I'd pass out. The effects for Beth getting her throat stabbed through are grisly and help fill me with a complete sense of dread. I want to say the only negative thing I have to talk about in this movie are the amount of jump scares that are in it. There are two back-to-back jump scares of flying animals popping out randomly from somewhere. What makes one of them worse is that the jump scare uses some of the worst CGI bats I have ever seen the movie is actually scary in and of itself so i don't know why there are so many cheap jump scares in it the only other thing that is completely awful is the title card it looks incredibly cheap and doesn't fit the film the creature design is simple and humanoid they are creepy and just believable enough to work perfectly while watching the movie i could not determine if it was actually filmed in caverns or not after looking into it the filmmakers considered it too dangerous to film in an actual cave which makes complete sense they ended up building one instead none of the caves in the film are real during production the film was given the joke name chicks with Picks." i definitely recommend checking out the descent it's a truly scary movie being stuck in pitch black caves with no sure way out with finite light is just a terrifying situation to be in people that crawl through tiny cave openings why do you do it and are you insane number six the mummy 1999 directed by Steven somers brendan fraser leads a group to Hamunaptra, the city of the dead in order to recover an ancient book wacky hijinks happen along the way and the mummy of imhotep is resurrected after more craziness happens imhotep is made mortal again after a girl named evelyn reads from the book of amun-ra brendan Fraser then pushes imhotep into the river of death and the main characters live happily ever after brendan Fraser, evelyn imhotep anaksunamun flesh-eating scarabs random soldiers americans and an ancient booby trap are the killers for a pg-13 rating a lot of people are randomly killing each other in this movie Emotep is played by arnold Voslow, who is also in the amazing frankie muniz and hillary duff movie agent cody banks all of the acting in this movie is terrible and cheesy it was nice to see brendan Fraser on screen though since i haven't sat down and watched a movie starring him for quite some time He's a lovable goofball he recently did an interview about what's been going on in his life that's worth a read we all love you brendan Fraser. i think hollywood is trying to make chris pratt the next brendan Fraser, and it's not working for me at all somehow i avoided all of these mummy movies growing up i'm not sure why i didn't see it but watching the mummy without nostalgia glasses allowed me to see how bad it actually is first things first this movie is incredibly bad does that mean that it's not enjoyable not in the least it is a very enjoyable bad 90s blockbuster the cheesiness is a strength of the movie this is basically a live action cartoon is it a horror movie not really but i'm counting it because it's a movie based on a classic monster there are some parts that could be scary like the flesh-eating scarabs but the cgi is so bad that i wasn't really fazed by a bug crawling under a man's skin some of the cgi is passable but overall it's pretty horrendous there are movies released before the mummy with decent cgi so i'm not going to give it a pass for being a 90s movie the plot of this movie is similar to the original in both movies imhotep is a dude that has the haunts for a lady he is forbidden to love which ends up getting him killed he then tries to resurrect his forbidden gf after he pops back up from the dead himself in both movies things don't work out for him and a hunky hero runs off with the woman with egyptian heritage that imhotep kidnaps for his ritual in the 1999 version we see ankh sunaman in the beginning of the movie and whoa boy am i surprised that her wardrobe or lack thereof was allowed in a pg-13 movie barely anything is left to the imagination maybe she's the reason why this movie was popular amongst boys my age when i was younger this mummy reboot was in development for years before the brendan fraser version was decided on clive barker was originally tapped to take a shot at it it said his take was going to be dark sexual and filled with mysticism sounds like clive barker to me the next possibility had joe dante the director of gremlins cast daniel day lewis as the mummy after both of these attempts didn't pan out george a romero was brought in then mcgarris even wes craven was asked to take part but ended up passing it's amazing to think this movie could have been more than a dumb action movie so much talent was almost involved in making it which only makes it more disappointing that it was handed off to steven somers c'est la vie i suppose i just realized i need to watch all the horror movies i haven't seen yet from joe dante and wes craven i have enjoyed everything i've seen from them man i wish there was a horror movie with daniel day lewis as the villain with his acting chops he'd definitely be able to channel a truly terrifying presence i guess he's kind of a villain in gangs of new york and there will be blood at least what was i talking about oh yeah the mummy since i don't have nostalgia glasses for the film i didn't particularly love it it's an enjoyable dumb blockbuster from the 90s nothing exceptional at all i don't really recommend checking it out if you haven't already since it didn't age well maybe someday i'll check out the new new reboot with tom cruise i heard it's absolute trash number seven the beginning of mayhem 1984 to present mayhem is a norwegian black metal band formed in 1984 in oslo they are a cornerstone of the norwegian black metal scene why am i covering a black metal band for the seventh topic well during the last episode i went over how in the book the movie the ritual is based on a metal band helps a lady find human sacrifices for an ancient evil in the movie the metal band was replaced by strange forest cult people i said that i thought that a metal band could work on screen because actual metal bands have done a ton of weird and awful things in real life the most notorious of these bands is mayhem the band was formed by guitarist euronymous bassist necro butcher and drummer Kajatil manheim i guess the latter never decided an edgy pseudonym he didn't stay around long either the lineup of the band that i'm going to focus on here was compromised of the lyricist dead drummer hellhammer bassist varg aka count grishnak and guitarist euronymous this lineup along with attila shizihar on vocals recorded what is considered the most influential black metal album de mysterious dom sathanas dead is said to be the first black metal musician to adorn corpse paint which he put on because he wanted to look like a corpse here's a quote from hellhammer before the shows dead used to bury his clothes into the ground so that they could start to rot and get that grave scent he was a corpse on stage once he even asked us to bury him in the ground he wanted his skin to become pale to get a better understanding of how mayhem performed here's a quote from an interview with a guitarist from marduk reminiscing about something dead told him which was close to the following before we began to play there was a crowd of about 300 people in there but in the second song necrolust we began to throw around these pig heads only 500 people were left i like that We want to scare those who shouldn't be at our concerts and they will have to escape through the emergency exit with parts of their body missing so we can have something to throw around if someone doesn't like blood and rotten flesh thrown in their face they can f off and that's exactly what they do they were obviously a real class act dead ended up committing suicide which is the reason why he isn't the singer on the debut album he left a note that starts with excuse the blood his depression and tendency towards self-harm was known throughout the band and euronymous allegedly egged this on due to what he considered its metal nature euronymous found the body and before alerting the police took a picture of it which ended up on the cover of one of mayhem's bootleg live albums and he also collected fragments of dead skull which he made necklaces with which he gave to musicians he deemed worthy sometime after the suicide of dead euronymous was murdered by varg the true reasons for the murder have never been revealed it's speculated that it may have been over power of the band a financial dispute or an attempt to outdo another stabbing that happened in lilyhammer but varg states to this day that it was self-defense how someone ends up dead with 23 cut wounds when the alleged defender walks away practically unscathed is a mystery to me varg was sentenced to 21 years in prison for the murder and also some church arsons he was attached to the norwegian black metal scene sure loved some church burnings varg was released after serving 15 years and has been in more trouble since then regarding possible terrorism and definite bigotry so yeah he's a terrible human being necro butcher left mayhem after dead suicide due to how much it affected him but has since returned to the band necro butcher is the sole remaining member of the original lineup not that all the other members are deceased the others have just left mayhem that ended up being a lot more depressing than i meant it to be real life is a lot scarier and darker than movies that's it for this episode that last topic was a little weird this week let me know your feelings on it as always this podcast is hosted on stickerfridge.com which allows it to pop up on all your favorite podcast apps and itunes go check out sticker fridge listen to their other podcasts and watch their shorts the next episode of blank is the killer will be up on march 11th if you have any feedback or anything that you want to say i'd love to hear it i currently feel like i'm in a vacuum with this podcast so if you like something or dislike anything about it let me know i'm always trying to make it better if you're feeling generous leave a review on itunes see you in two weeks i have to go return some videotapes